This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, welcome to the weekly podcast. It's back a few days late, but I was preoccupied with a bunch of other stuff earlier this week. So uh, I'm very sorry, but you know, it'll be kind of like, you know, there'll be lots of podcasts coming out from myself and the other folks at Raptors Republic. So you should be well stocked up, I guess. But yes, I'm Samson Folk. This is the weekly podcast coming out to you on either like afternoon Friday or, you know, early morning Saturday, whichever you're listening to. And uh, yeah, a very special guest, a colleague of mine over at Raptors Republic, the guy doing the numbers, laying down the lines and also freelancing at Yahoo Sports and at TSN, Manny Rao. How are you doing, Manny? Hey, brother, I'm good. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. This is awesome. This is my first time. Yeah, well, this was, we linked up <laughs> at the Christmas party and yes, I said, I said, whatever you want to talk about, you just let me yeah. know, and that's what we'll do. And so nice finally, we, yeah, we have a good stable of questions, <laughs> and now we're going to talk about it. And the, uh, if, they, if they haven't been paying attention to your insights prior to these games with the lineup and all that kind of stuff, they're going to get some look into it now. But I, I do kind of want to start there. As far as like yeah. approaching these betting lines before most every game this year, what's that been like? So, yeah, that's, that's a great question because a lot of research goes into it, obviously. So, I mean, you know, I'll be up maybe the night before and, you know, even during games when there's a back-to-back, you have to go and you have to look at not only the Raptors' previous lines and if they've hit under or if they hit over, if they've covered the spread, you know, how many times they've gone against the spread. You have to do that for the other team, too. And you have to kind of take that into consideration. And then the other thing I do is, you know, I, I look at – the numbers like based on matchups based on you know how this team has done against the raptors or how the raptors have done against them um with the Cavs specifically for the Cavs because that's the last game they played you know i I always factor in the mentality that the raps have so i thought i think i said the raps were going to go i said uh the total is going to go under uh raps to cover raps to win um actually i think Cavs to win or Cavs to cover but Anyway, I, I factor those things into like, you know, what I think the team's mental makeup is, but otherwise it's, it's like, you know, always looking at how many times this team has hit the over, uh, how many times they've hit the under, what their streaks like their last 10 games, stuff like that. You always want to look at that because especially when it comes to injuries, it's like so hard to tell. Um, but, you know, with that being said, it's, it's also just a matter of, you know, seeing what other people think too, like going on different betting sites seeing what they're saying and kind of getting an idea of what uh, people think on those. Are you happy with the turnout so far this season? Yeah. You know, I have a winning record uh, right now. I think after last night, I'm still, I'm still like, 
I think I'm 102 and 80 or 90. I don't know. I'm going to have to check the numbers, but I'm still, I'm still, I still got a winning record right now. So um, next year, I, I hope, I hope I'll be back next year. I think, I think we will, but anyways, uh, I hope my record is going to be a lot better. Um, I'm counting on it to be. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's something that, you know, I think definitely, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, en- I'm enjoying it and yeah, it's been fun. It's really interesting. We haven't not while I've been at Raptors Republic, we've never had anything like that. And especially since you've, you've turned it into more than just like, putting the lines down, but you know, there's kind of like this, this whole approach of like infotainment behind it. It's a, a cool thing to be doing. So the fact that you're winning, dude, hell yeah, that's, that's way better than the alternative. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Thank you, brother. Now, another person we hope will be winning something rather than just the games that are currently ongoing, Scotty Barnes. And so this is one of the topics you wanted to discuss with me. And a good one to discuss that I haven't really talked about on the podcast yet this year. And, well, not at length anyway. And that's Scotty Barnes's rookie of the year case. His candidacy for the most vaunted thing a rookie can get besides like an all-star or, or all-NBA, which is rare enough in its own right. And he's in, I would say, steep competition with Evan Mobley and Cade Cunningham. But I've talked about this with people on other podcasts and just you know, not for content, just human stuff, talking about basketball. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> a lot of people seem to think he has a shot. I'm, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, man, absolutely. I think he was a favorite earlier on in the season too, right? Like he was, he's constantly turning out numbers and, you know, he was, I think he's just like the Raptors. He surpassed a lot of people's expectations um, and how he played. And the, the first, the first surprise was actually him going forth because a lot of people expected uh Jalen Suggs to be that fourth pick, but clearly it's it's proven that Scotty was the right choice for the Raps at four. Um, and you know, although he just won, I think conference uh, rookie Eastern rookie of the month. You know, there's he, he really you could have made a case for him to win it every month since the season started. Um, the thing that I, I I think that really stands out about him is his coachability, and I don't know that it's been talked about too much. I haven't seen it personally too many places, but you know, when you talk about a, a rookie that comes in, he's playing 35 plus minutes a night. He's going, he's setting screens. He's initiating the offense. He's running the floor. He's, he's doing a lot of everything. And he's doing a lot of what he's asked to do. In fact, you know, he's, he's so unselfish. You know, there's been, I remember reading in, in multiple places and hearing from a lot of people too, that, you know, Nick Nurse is asking him to shoot more and try to get more field goal attempts, which is something that, you know, he kind of defers to his teammates because, well, obviously you have, you have some big shot takers on that team right now. Um, but I think, I think, you know, his case for rookie of the year is legitimate. I think it, it definitely supersedes uh, Evan Mobley's, especially when you consider the Raptors roster at the end of the last year. Um, coming into this season, it, it's, it's widely the same. I think for the most part, at least the core, um, the Cavs have had a higher turnover, uh, in their roster compared to the end of last season. So, um, yeah, that's, that's why I would, that's why I think he should be rookie of the year without a question in my mind over Evan Mobley. So it's that like Scotty is correlated with the change in culture, the change in winning percentage, all that kind of stuff. And 
that, like the case you would make is that Scotty is impacting more of this and Mobley Absolutely. is so long for the ride. Well, I think, I think Mobley has impacted his team as well, but I think, you know, he's, when you look at, like, like I said, the roster turnover from the Raptors and the Cavs compared, comparing each team, it's clear that Scotty's impacted his roster, I think more than Mobley's impacted his. So you think like probably if you were looking for an outcome where the most possible voters voted Scotty, the race for the sixth seed between the Cavs and Raptors probably looms quite large in your mind. Yeah, I would think so. I think that's, I think that that definitely would be the case. Um, but, you know, I can't deny how good Evan Mobley is. You know, he's, he's shown that he's, he's pretty legit. Um, and, you know, the Cavs, him falling to three, maybe he should have gone two. You know what I mean? But nonetheless, um, yeah, man, I, I, I do think Scotty has impacted the Raptors probably a, a smidge bit more than Mobley's impacted the Cavs. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It makes me think about self-creation more than anything. And it makes me, you know, the, 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 the pitch I would give for Scotty as rookie of the year is I would say, yes, Mobley's been a better defender, but Scotty plays on a Raptors team that doesn't run much pick and roll, that runs isolations more than any other team. And he's gone from what was deemed a zero level score at, you know, prior to the draft to a guy who's mm-hmm. isolating just as much as Cade Cunningham, basically, and at a similar efficiency on a team that demands that he create, you know, Fred, Pascal, both get doubled. Pascal at this point, I think is at top five rate in the NBA. Fred is still hanging around the top 10. And that means that Scotty is left in positions where he has to be able to punch in points off of his own dribble against single coverage and stuff like that. And his, you know, the way that he can author an offensive possession is completely different than what Evan Mobley is capable of. Darius Garland has the highest correlation to winning offensive minutes for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Evan Mobley, the bulk of his shots come as a byproduct of Darius Garland's pick and roll creation. And that's a guy catching and finishing, which is important, but he doesn't do it as well as Jared Allen does. And it's also where he's dependent on another player. And Scotty is less dependent on his teammates on the offensive end than Evan Mobley is. And so with comparable statistics, that actually stands out quite a bit, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, you know, you know, you definitely, you, you know, the numbers better than I do, but if I'm going to like put it in my own simplified terms, like basically, you know, Scotty is asked to do, and I think this is basically what you just said, but Scotty's asked to do more for the Raptors than Mobley is. And, you know, that's just, that's, that's where for me that the biggest case or the biggest case for Scotty to be rookie of the year is made is Scotty's just asked to do more in every situation almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's like a contextual argument because, well, actually, if you go to like some of the catch-alls, I think if you weighted all the popular like Raptor, LeBron, EPM, Darko, like the really popular catch-alls for well, certain groups of basketball fans, certainly not all of them, but Scotty, I think actually weighted between all of them is doing better than Cade and Mobley. So that's an interesting wrinkle, but also it's just like, you have to argue for Scotty's context to try and make the case over Mobley because Scotty has had an underwhelming defensive year and Mobley has had a really good defensive year. And that matters a lot to a lot of people. So you have to like work in way yeah, more context yeah. offensively because most people just want to talk about like box score statistics on offense. 
And they're like, you know, if you try and say, well, you know, look at the unassisted rates, look at, you know, the unassisted at rim rates, they're kind of like, eh. I don't know if people factor that stuff into the the rookie of the year stuff, but we will between us. Yeah, both. we will. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And and just to keep it on Scotty then for a little bit, I'm curious, just your thoughts on Scotty so far this season, not in an argumentative fashion against Mobley or Cade, but just like, yeah. oh yeah, the Raptors have an awesome rookie. What have you thought of his first year? Yeah, I mean, I thought his first year, uh, like I said earlier, it surpassed anybody's expectations. Um, I remember talking to Gerard and, and our, our other colleague, Damlin as well, Andrew Damlin, and we were talking about expectations for the Raptors even before the draft. And it was like, I said 38 and 44 would be where I would peg them at. That was before the draft lottery and everything. Now it's like, well, they're definitely going to win. They're definitely going to do better than that. Um, they've already done better than that. So in terms of Scotty's a big reason why. And I think that when you have a rookie like him, I, I don't know that the Raptors have had a rookie that's as sensational as Scotty since maybe, you know, Damon Sotomayor and, you know, yeah, we'll throw Vince in there too because you can't not throw Vince in there. But, you know, he's he's just so the, – the game, he makes it seem so easy. Like, the game just comes to him so easily. You watch him on the court and you see where he gets and he gets to his spots and he's so strong too. Like, he's, he's fast, he's strong. He's still a rookie, so he's not by any means, you know, a finished product either. But, you know – I just find that he is, he's very, very good for, for, you know, what the expectation was. And I think a lot of people didn't know what to expect, but whatever, whatever they feel then and what they feel now, like they feel happier with the pick now and with him now. So I think, you know, his rookie season is definitely going to go, go down as one of the all-time best in Raptor history um, simply because he's good. And, you know, also because the Raptors had one off year and now it seems like they're, they're back to being this tough minded team. So, you know, I think Scotty's first season, I mean, what more can you ask from him? Right. This, this actually makes me think of an interesting thing because obviously Scotty is having one of the best rookie seasons ever for a Raptor. It's Mm -hmm. comparable to uh, mighty mouse and Vince. And you you could probably quibble and work your way into saying it's better than both if you really wanted to, especially with if Scotty. you wanted to, especially there's like peripheral stuff with Scotty, like his favorite food is baked beans. There's just like fan base stuff where his <laughs> yeah. like his yeah. his persona fuels a lot of fandom because he's so fun and like falling his out of his personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His personality falling out of the just, tunnel out there. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's yeah. just like he's. He's so lovable. He's so likable. You know what I mean? And so that's, I think, what resonates with people is, yeah, he's he's a great player, but he's actually, his personality is just so infectious and it's it's so lovable. He he really seems like the, the duality of man because this is a guy who's like, <laughs> has such a dog in him that he's on the yeah. fast break and he looks back at people. LeBron James, Jaron Jackson Jr., Steven Adams, like these huge hulking men and he looks back yeah. like he's punking yeah. them. But it's also the same guy who's like has his giant like eight year old smile plastered on his face as he falls while he's running out onto the court. And it's like, how how is this the same person? Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. And then he, he's, he was uh, apparently I think there's some some people talking about it. I saw it on Twitter a little bit. He was drawing Joel Embiid in a game uh, against <laughs> Philly a few nights ago. And I, 
that does not that doesn't i mean i was like really that that's that doesn't sound like scotty but then you know to your point you just mentioned it yeah i mean he's he's a brute in a lot of ways you know but then again yeah he has that smile and you know you think about that that picture that he has like when he was a kid with that the gown and the cap and he's just smiling and that's it's the exact same smile he has now and it's just yeah like i don't know there's just there's just to your point yeah it's the, the duality of man it really is Okay, so but this does bring me to my point that I wanted to ask, right? Yeah. Is is Scotty as a draft pick a better addition than any player the Raptors have ever signed? Demike, Damari Carroll, Hito Turklu, like guys like that. Have the Raptors yeah. signed a better player than Scotty? Well, I mean, when you consider the fact that the rookie seal contract is, you know, he's probably making the same amount of money as Turklu, it's kind of a tough tough thing to say because you know Turk Lou and him you know probably same same high like you know similar I'm totally kidding by the way um <laughs> <laughs> there's no way you can compare the you know Turk Lou to Scotty Barnes um no I think I think definitely um like this is a that's tough to say because I I don't want to say yes for the reasons that you know it's just exciting to have a player like that on your team but at the same time, I look at, you know, the Raptors signings and who they have signed. And unless you want to talk about, you know, re-signing players, you know, like, like Lowry, like DeMar. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not really, there's not really much else. You know, there weren't too many sexy additions to the Raptors before this, unless they were trades. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, trades and trades and resigns. I, I think Scotty's the best off-season addition they've ever had. If you don't count yeah. trades and resigns, kind of wild. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, and it's weird, and it's. I agree. It's 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 yeah. I mean, if he's putting up numbers like this right now, I mean, I'm excited to see what the future brings. I don't want to get too excited, but this is definitely a good sign. And and yeah. I, I guess I guess we both have to agree on that then that he is the best offseason addition the Raps have had. Cool. It, it, he's such a fun player. And and speaking <laughs> of another fun and I would say inscrutable player because of his public persona, OG Ananobi. Uh yeah. back in the lineup, super helpful. His the his press conference afterwards was really funny because you know, I think it was Doug Smith who asked, like, hey, were you surprised? that you shot so well? And he said, no. And then he reframed the question and was like, were you surprised that you didn't shoot bad? And he was like, no. <laughs> and then he was asked, yeah. you know, if his finger bothered him and he was like, yeah, it was broken. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> man, he's such a riot, but on the court, he had a tremendous game. Yeah. Like he shot the three. Well, he helped space out for like, when I was writing that piece that came out this morning about his return, and I was thinking about, okay, how did the Raptors do against the Cavs last time versus this time? And you look at the Cavs, well, the Raptors scored 18 points from the three-point line on 25% shooting against the yeah. Rap, against the Cavs last time. And OG just came in and kind of radically changed that by weaponizing more of uh, Pascal Siakam's kickouts. Like, just being able to take on a guy in isolation, draw a second defender, and pass to a guy like OG instead of you know, maybe it's Thad instead over those this last run of games. Maybe it's Gary who's shooting like 28% from three or worse 
in this run too. OG just comes in and sticks that. The Raptors get to run an empty side dribble handoff with OG and Pascal, and then they draw the second defender as well. They pop out to OG for a three. OG rolls to the rim for free throws. OG cuts to the rim and makes a slick pass to Scotty for a layup. Like all, all this connective stuff offensively, it isn't him being a superstar. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. It's just like a damn good player enters the lineup and suddenly everything is easier. Yeah, I mean, he's here's the thing is that I think a lot of people were expecting him to take a step into becoming a guy that initiates offense. But the thing is, with OG, is his first step isn't as fast as he'd like it to be. And maybe that's something that, you know, you're just going to have to come to terms with over the next however many years. Who knows? That's something that at least stands out to me. So when you talk about, you know, Pascal being able to take somebody on in isolation and then kick it out, kick it out to like an open OG, I mean, isn't that a situation that you would want to have rather than not? Because to your to your point, maybe OG is better suited as a guy that you don't necessarily call plays for. A guy that, you know, is out there in the corner to kick it out to, or, you know, is out beyond the arc somewhere just so that you know you can you can have him wide open while pascal or fred or gary you know draws a defender when they're driving in who knows i think that's that's kind of what that's kind of the role that that i think og should grow into and i think that's kind of a role that you know he he'll flourish in that if that's the case um because he's he's great at shooting the three um and yeah he's a great defender too so I mean, him taking that step to becoming like an ISO shot creator may not be realistic, and that's okay. I'm totally okay with that. If he's able to, you know, become a catch-and-shoot 3-and-D kind of guy that averages around 18 to 20 a game, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think he's already there. Like, that's, the, that's yeah. the interesting aspect is that OG, I think he averaged like 19 or 20 in the second half of last year. And he was averaging prior to Pascal Siakam's return, you know, around like 20, 21 points per game. And a lot of it was, there's a lot of failed isolations in there. That's not his best play type for sure. But in trying to mine different ways to use him, they discovered the post. And while he does fail in the post sometimes, I think that he's a pretty good passer out of the post, a pretty good score out of the post by, you know, by the measurements, he scores more out of the post than anyone on the Raptors. And he has more assists out of the post than anybody on the wrapper. So, and like we think about certain games where he was helpful as a pick and roll ball handler or where he did have a nice little pop off in isolation. That ceiling is a really nice thing to have when we consider like the playoffs. If Pascal and Fred get all this extra attention and Gary isn't able to create, having OG as a guy who's tried this stuff in a season where the Raptors are still largely successful fall back on maybe something that did work or that at least has a chance of working, I think is really, really helpful. Even if it means that he isn't growing into a superstar, I'm glad that he's getting the opportunity in small spaces to try and stretch his legs because anytime we see a playoff series, the players who are most limited are the easiest to stop. Even if they're tremendous in the way that they are limited, like the Raptors on their way to a championship weaponized the fact that really great three-point shooters couldn't move off of their spot and then hit. And that's kind of changed the, you know, the complexion of three-point shooting in the NBA is how the 
Raptors and how the Bucks started defending it was move guys off their spot, make them reset, and then just make them move around with the ball. They're not a shooter anymore. Make them a basketball player who has to put it on the ground. And OG is a guy who has like a drop dribble to make a three into open space. He is pretty good at transporting himself to the rim and he is a good finisher at the rim. He cuts well, you know, it's, there's a lot of ways that he's just super valuable that as you're saying, the superstar upside, whether it's there or not, there's just immense value in all the things that he's already doing. So yeah, you're, you're 100% correct. Yeah. I, I think that, that that's without question. I'm glad, I'm glad we agree on that. Cause yeah, I, I still love OG. I still think he's he's got immense potential, but maybe this is his best role, and that's totally fine. Yeah, I, like he he certainly does have immense potential because he's one of the strongest players in the league. You know, he he has he's really really great. Like the long steps on drives means that it's really tough for players to keep up with him after that first step that you talked about. Is like he picks up the dribble he might actually get to the rim before people. He has length to finish there and that kind of stuff. But even if that doesn't come, this is a guy who's like hitting threes, playing all NBA defense, can screen, yeah. can pop into space, yeah. is one of the best cutters in his conference. And it's just like, he fits on every team, not just yeah. like this year, but of the past like 10 years. He can just go be on any squad and start a game or something like that. The Mavericks who won the chip. He could just go be on that yeah. squad. The the heat that won the chip. He could be on that squad. Warriors, Caps, whatever, right? So yeah, that's absolutely it's really cool to see. Is there um, and he's strong. He's strong yeah. as, as anything, man. Like he's really, you know, when he's when he's driving or when he's like, you know, he may not he he may be slow, but the thing is, in that in that like slowness, you see how strong he is because he's still able to bring his arms all the way up or or get a shot off if he's right underneath the basket or something. It's just, you know, he, like, he is really strong. OG is actually, I think his strength sometimes is overlooked, to be honest with you. But I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, I don't know. I I think he's really strong. I think that adds, adds to his value without question. Right. He's definitely one of those guys who, if you're doing like the barbershop pound for pound conversation, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like he fits in pretty well. Like you're like, yeah, yeah, Steven Adams, strongest dude in the league, but pound for pound, OG and Anobi, he might be in it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I guess the next thing we'll talk about is Pascal Siakam, but listener, uh, not until you hear a message from our friends over at Jack Health. Okay. You want to get to the top of your game? Jack Health at www.jack.health is an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment, the prescription, And the shipping, which, by the way, is free. All you need to do is stay home and relax. They've got stuff for sexual health, daily health, hair and skin, you name it. Order what you want, fill out some questions, and get it shipped straight to you. Skip having to lay out all your medical issues in the clinic waiting room and keep your private business private. Free shipping and easy prescriptions. Boost your game and do it all from the privacy of your own home at www.jack.health. Okay, Manny, now that we're fully, uh, we, we've got all the information on how to help ourselves with sexual health, daily health, we all that, that kind of stuff. Now Absolutely. we need to be talking. Yeah, now we need to talk about how Pascal <laughs> Siakam, not in a sexual way, but has just helped the Raptors this year. And, I, you know, this is something you want to talk about. So I just want to gauge your interest on this topic. Pascal Siakam, this season, what's your thoughts? So, yeah, so... 
actually, Samson, you wrote you wrote a piece about how you know he's out for redemption this year, and this is kind of it. it it's really interesting because I was thinking about that maybe a couple nights ago uh, when when we got in touch, and I was just thinking like you know, like not that I ever not that I ever really thought you were wrong about it, but I was like you know he's really right about that because Pascal is is just. You know, after a down season in Tampa, and I think a lot of people maybe overblow it a bit. I don't know if it was necessarily a down season. I think it was just so much going on. Um, but he is he's fit in so seamlessly. And it's it's really interesting because, you know, when he signed the Max contract a couple of years back, the expectation was that he was going to become a superstar player. But he's shown that he doesn't even need to be that. And, in fact, it's better if he's not. Um, because he's still, in my opinion, probably the most important player to the Raptors um, because the offense flows through him. And a lot of the times, I guess in some scenarios, he's actually become the defensive anchor for the Raptors that, you know, Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka were in, you know, 2018 to 2020. But the thing that stands out to me the most, too, is that when you consider, you know, his role, um, it's actually kind of reminiscent to the, the way Chris Bosch uh, played in Miami in a lot of ways, because the offense flowed through Bosch in Miami and, you know, his role was definitely reduced greatly because he had two, you know, greats that he was paired up with in Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Pascal doesn't have two all time greats <laughs> right now, but at the same time, I mean, he's, his role is much greater, but it's also like, it's much greater than Bosch's, but it's like, it's very similar to Bosch's role in Miami because the offense flows through him because he's, you know, he's sticking around uh, and usually the high post area. Sometimes he's lurking out on the three. I just find that, you know, he is, he's become such a great playmaker because of that. And, you know, he's fully adapted to whatever the system really needs of him whether it's to score, whether it's to rebound, whether it's to assist. You know, I'm interested in getting your take on on just exactly how he's impacted and how he's kind of adapted to that role. Yeah, I think you hit on a very essential storyline for Pascal's season and his, his growth and the Raptors' success. And it's that where the Raptors fell short, Pascal just decided to be what they were missing. And that isn't, you know, as you said, like superstar versus what he is currently. And just, you know, maybe it's like a superstar is anybody who's great at basketball, but the optics of what we think a superstar is, is this offensive engine and shot maker, which he is, but it's also, they don't really, you know, bend to the, the whims of the offense. They go and do what they want. And Pascal has started to succeed in all the places where the Raptors don't. And that by doing that, he has become the most important player on the team. And that extends to both sides of the floor. Like there are so many soft spots because of the Raptors limitations that teams are willing to give up to the Raptors. And what Pascal has done is he has weaponized those soft spots. He's become, you know, I, I wrote this in the piece where I use like Pascal Siakam for all NBA is that this is his first season where he's taking more short mid range shots than shots at the rim. He actually takes more shots from the short mid-range than anywhere else on the floor. And that's because that's what teams afford the Raptors. Teams, you know, the way they gear up against the Raptors, that's the soft spot on the floor. 
And Pascal loves to get to the rim. If he can get there, he will. But on in some games, you know, we talked about the Cleveland game earlier, the one on, I guess, March 6th, I remember. It's mm-hmm. the Raptors only scored, you know, they only hit six threes. What is Pascal to do if his teammates don't hit threes and if the teams play pack line defense and they just won't let him get to the rim? You have to take what's available. And that's something that wasn't always part of his game. In 2018-19, where he was one of the most efficient scorers in the league, he's always in single coverage. He's getting to cut. He's getting to run out on the break. In 2019-20, he's still in single coverage, but he's hitting more pull-up threes and stuff like that. But he still has Kyle Lowry running the offense. It's not Pascal running the offense. Pascal is the highest scorer. Pascal is making things happen, of course, but he's playing much different than he is now. And as you said, being overblown the Tampa season, if you look at the play style that Pascal participates in, it's a lot more similar between this year and Tampa than it is 2019-20 and this year. And that's because he's slowed the game down in so many ways. And he's working, he set up his little, you know, a Gretzkyism is he set up his little offices around the court. And oftentimes it's on the left side of the court, the 45 extended is where the isolation starts. And then you know, the 12 feet between, you know, eight feet away from the rim and where he starts is where he manipulates doubles or gets to the shots that he wants to hit. And it's just like, this is a very selfless way to operate in the offense. It's a lot of attention to take on. And he's never greedy. He doesn't hunt shots when passes are available. And then defensively yeah. too, um, Gary Trent Jr. Uh, is Gary, Chris Boucher, Scotty. Those guys gamble, man. And Pascal used to be the gambler. OG and Pascal used to gamble. And Pascal has decided he would be more conservative so that he can be a problem solver when things go wrong defensively. And you talked about being that, yeah. that defensive anchor. Is There's a reason late in games you see Pascal Siakam coming up with the blocks at the rim because he's like, okay, finally it's time to go for broke. I'm the backline defender. This is where you see him block. You know, He had like four blocks in overtime against the Heat. And he had the one against the Lakers as well in crunch time too, that they got their own rebound and finished. But this is a guy who is at the back line has a a massive plus wingspan and can, you know, not jump out of the gym, but has a very quick jump. He can get to spots. He can defend really well at the back line. And so he's so essential to what the Raptors do on that end. And he's essential everywhere. So I, yeah, the dichotomy of like superstar who's getting his versus just the immense team player who's getting what the team needs is the, an interesting aspect to look at Pascal through. Absolutely. And it, it just, it, I, I just also want to touch on this really quickly because it, it just really annoyed me how um, right after Scotty was drafted, there were people talking about, well, maybe it's time to trade Pascal. I, I just thought that was one of the dumbest things that people could have said, because here's it like Pascal, you know, even, even in the season in Tampa, like you said, this is closer. What we're seeing right now, this is a closer version to that version. This is like what we're seeing from him right now. He's playing similarly to how he did in Tampa more than, you know, the years prior to it. And when you can, when you think about the fact that his assist numbers have gone way up, he's, I think one of the only players and probably, I think the first Raptors actually be averaging 28 and five. I mean, this is a really good player that the Raptors have. Why are they just going to trade him for, like, you know, nothing? And maybe that's prior to this season. But still, at the same time, like, you got to, like, you got to look at this long term. Because even before 
even in Tampa, he showed, you know, that he was adaptable, that there were parts of his game that he could still unlock. And now it's just so much more clear. And now it's just so much, it, it just feels good to know that he's enjoying playing the game again. And he's just doing it at such a high level. You know, he might not be the guy that's, you know, going to take the last shot or going to, you know, hoist up 20 to 25 field goal attempts a game, but he's definitely going to contribute to about 30 of them, whether it's assisting, whether it's the hockey assist, whether it's scoring himself, like he's going to be constructive to your team. He's not going to be deconstructive for his own sake. So that's something that I really thought, I, I just didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. Like I wouldn't trade Pascal just because the team drafted Scotty. Pair the both of them together and see what kind of dangerous pick and roll situations they can provide other teams for. You know what I mean? Or they at least can provide for the Raptors. Like that's that's other teams' problems. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm I'm just I yeah that that bugged me. I just I'm sorry. I needed to get that out there. No, that's you brought in <laughs> the the intersection of like quite a few different interesting points, and that is. Why did anybody in the fan base think it was a good idea if you even were going to trade Pascal at his lowest possible market value where people like where it was the the Celtics were saying, why would we trade Marcus Smart for Pascal? Or, yeah. you know, like it was like Al Horford and like Daniel Tice or something. And they're like, uh, I don't know about that. Like Al is pretty essential to our defense. You know, it's his, his value was so low that there's just no winning there. And it's like, okay, so you give him a season and you see once he finally bounces back and there were people probably like yourself, probably like myself saying, Oh, he'll bounce back and he'll be really good because Pascal's really good. Don't forget. But also the other thing, like, as you said, that's not the Raptors problem. That's other teams problem that has bore fruit because now Scotty has gotten so good so quickly that Pascal looks like he'll still be on contract when Scotty is already a star because Scotty looks like a guy who will be a rookie contract star, which is very unique the league over, but allows you to build teams in different ways. And then you consider, we talked about earlier, oh yeah, who's the best guy the Raptors have ever signed? What is the likelihood that they'd be able to bring in somebody better than Pascal to work with Scotty? Very, very slim. And so the intersection of all these points just goes to the like thinking of, oh yeah, pretty happy they kept their all NBA level player. That was good. And yeah, yeah, I was very surprised that so many people were on the other side of the conversation. I had a, yeah. a good friend on the podcast during the summer. Um, he goes by Hoop Goose on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen him around, but uh, we, we had the, the debate about like, should Siakam be traded or not? I took the, he shouldn't be, he took the should be, but his, his heart wasn't really in it either. It was kind of, yeah, like yeah. yeah. it's uh, the conversation around Pascal has been very silly for a long time. And I think it's finally in a place where it's now being corrected, which is Thank good. God. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it was so unjust, I felt. But I'm glad that he's I'm glad that he's he's kind of shut those people up right now because there's nothing worse than seeing a bunch of, you know, those kind of tweets. And, and it's just oh god, it just makes me want to get off of your phone completely. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah, as you as as you said, like with the max contract thing and he doesn't have to be X to earn a max contract. Yeah. Like yeah. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo are all on max contracts. Every single one of them. They want to chip somehow without Drew and Chris being Giannis. 
And it's like in the NBA, typically you pay a guy a max contract. And that means that he's way underpaid because he's one of the best players in the league. Like the best players in the league, typically from a, a merchandise marketing, like on court impact standpoint are worth like $80 million a year or like a hundred yeah. million. And yeah. they subsidize the minimum players. Like it's, it's socialist, right? They subsidize the minimum players allowed to get paid more because they make a little bit, well, a substantial amount less than what they're worth. It's pretty sick. It's pretty awesome of these, you know, super, super rich guys yeah. to help out the minimum players. But yeah. Pascal is worth every little bit of his contract. And even every as he jumps bit. up yeah. to 36 next year, like he's worth it. This is a guy who will be no matter what, he will be good enough that he can generate like a top three player on a top team. And absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, at, at minimum. Right. And that's what a max player is. That's what a max player gets. And, you know, unless you yeah. have a rookie contract, but yeah, that's, that's the whole thing for me. I don't want to like, I don't want to be off too far uh, off track, but like, you know, maybe in about two years, I would put up uh, Pascal Scotty and, you know, Fred or OG up against the Milwaukee Bucks big three, like without question, yeah. because I think that that's how effective I think, I think Scotty's potential will definitely take him there, but I think Scotty um, he's also making, well, without question, he's making, you know, the other core members of the team better as he, he himself gets better. So I, I just wanted to say that too. Yeah. The, the route to a championship is far more interesting because of Scotty's trajectory and Pascal like returning to this form, progressing to this form, let's say. And yep. then Fred, Fred before the knee stuff really took a lot of the punch out of the season, just had made so many steps too. So there's something there and it's interesting. Raptors fans are lucky, but I guess we'll move on to the back end. So the Raptors are tied for sixth currently, but they have, they lose the tiebreaker for sixth because right. they, uh, they lost the season lost. series to the Cavs. Yeah. And even if it extended past that, I I don't know what the in-conference record is relative to those guys. But either way, they're not in the sixth seed currently. They have to beat out the the Cavs the rest of the way by a half game to do it. You know, maybe even, you know, there's some Raptors fans who are looking at the five seed with big greedy eyes and say, you know, maybe Chicago also falls past us too. I'm curious what you think, because as you highlighted, you know, the Nets, they're kind of like, they're sitting at the back end of the East with Kyrie and KD and Ben Simmons could return. They have like Patty Mills and Seth Curry and like, you know, just a glut of really great role players. And once again, Kevin Durant and Kyrie having them at the back end, threatening a play in spot is enough to be anxiety inducing for anybody. So I'm curious what you think of the whole back end of the playoff situation. Yeah. So, I mean, the East is going to be a dog fight. Um, I actually just put out an article today with Yahoo talking about uh, the Raptors, you know, possibly positioning themselves for a five to eight seed. Obviously, you know, you got to take and uh, take the play in into account. But when you, when you think about the success they've had on the road, I think they're, they're second, they're, they're, uh, they have the second most road wins in the East uh, out of all the Eastern teams just behind Philly. I think that this team and they're going to have to learn how to win at home, but they're they're right now. They are a better road team than they are at home. Now their strength of the schedule. They have one of the best or one of the easiest paths for the rest of uh, the season. It's only nine games left. Two of them are away. 
Uh, one is against New York. One is against Orlando. So those are both very winnable games. The rest of the games are at home. And, you know, as, as we just alluded to, the Raptors are, are not as good of a home team as they are on the road, but they're going to have to learn how to win at home, at least over these next, you know, seven out of the next nine games, because that's, that's all they have for the regular season. Now, <laughs> the reason that I think maybe positioning themselves for five to eight would be better because is because they, they would probably be, they have this mindset. And I, I think it's, I don't know if it's like some sort of trauma from, you know, playing in Tampa. I don't know what it is, but there's something going on there. It's a psyche thing, man, where, you know, they have this mindset as though they're actually comfortable being, being booed and being the underdog and being, you know, the outcast, you know, they go to different arenas around the NBA and it's like, it's like they feed off of it. They like being booed. It's, it's, it's just so weird. It's as though, you know, they're saying to everybody, yeah, okay, boo us. And, you know, then you just cut to that Michael Jordan scene where it's like, and I took that personally. And they just go out and dominate on the road. But it's weird because the numbers, the numbers don't even dictate that they're that much. They're only, I think, what, 0.3 or 0.5 points better on the road against their opponents versus being about three points better at home versus their point. So it, it makes no sense to me, but if I'm going to chalk it up to anything, it's that mindset. It's that mindset of us versus the world. It, it's, it's hard to explain. I know it's like very arbitrary, but I don't know what else to chalk it up to at this point. What do you think? Yeah. It, the, the thing is, right. Is that like in season variants can be there for any reason, but you do hit on something super interesting is like, I don't know, Stockholm syndrome, a Jace behavior where the Raptors are like, yeah, we're, we're more comfortable, you know, with the bad guys, like being booed or whatever, you know, we, we, we don't yeah. deserve love, but they also, I can't remember if it's Chris Boucher, or Pascal Siakam, who had said, you know, they had played bad at home. So they finally needed to play well. And uh, like, so they obviously are paying attention to it. Like yeah. players are always paying attention to peripheral numbers not every player does like does Anthony Edwards on the wolves care about like home versus way. I doubt it. Like he just doesn't move that way, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of idiosyncratic players in the NBA who look at every number they can. They want to understand like where everything gets boiled into and then like the catch-alls and the analytics and, you know, like they might even look at, you know, where they shoot on certain spots on the floor in certain arenas and stuff like that. But the Raptors as a catch-all being a better road team, I always really struggle with doing the like, you know, do they have the dog in them? Do they have the whatever? Because, you know, that's like shock jock radio. But on the one hand, the players yeah. do it too. And you're like, okay, so like it's, 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 it's wrong until it isn't. And like the rappers yeah. openly commenting about being better on the road means that it isn't wrong. And so it's like, it's the laziest analysis until it's true. And then once it's true, <laughs> yeah. You like smash it and you say, yeah, these you guys hammer are... it in. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I don't, I don't really know, like from an analysis standpoint, what, it, what is my fix? What is my take is like, like day gum guys, you just like, you got to put that at home, <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's, it's so weird, man, but that's, that's what I think it is. It's ultimately a psyche thing where it's just, you know, like you said, there are guys that, you know, are, are constantly on their phones or constantly on a screen looking at, you know, the analytics of it, even though everybody claims that they're not, it's, it's obviously something that a lot of players do, but 
you know, I think with them, it's just, that's the, that's what it is. They're comfortable being booed. They like, you know, when they have, they like looking at adversity. They like when adversity phases them or, you know, where they have something to kind of go out there and prove to people, you know what I mean? And I think on top of that, I don't know if it'd be the same way if they, you know, Fred, OG, Pascal, although OG wasn't part of that championship run because he had that, um, he was out, you know, but Pascal, OG, Pascal, Fred, and Chris Boucher, they all bring. So maybe, maybe it's like the championship thing, you know, the fact that they're hungry for another one. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but, you know, it's, it's, it's something interesting. And it's something that, like, it's fascinated me for the longest time. Um, but yeah, with the next seven, um, seven of the next nine games, that's like, you only have nine games left in the season, you know, you're gonna have to learn how to, how to win at home, you know, and they, they started off great last night against the Cavs. Cause that's a team that, you know, you said they haven't beaten all season. There's no way for them to get that tiebreaker at six. You know, if they have the same record as, as the Cavs, they are going to be the seventh seed. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be playing Brooklyn. Cause <laughs> the Nets are the Nets like in what, like in what, what universe, I mean, does any team want to be facing Brooklyn? You know, even if they were a top seed, but they're an eighth seed. So right now I think they'd be going up against Miami. Like that's, that's something that's insane. You're getting like an Eastern conference finals potential matchup. You're getting that in the first round between a one seed and an eight seed. It's, it's unheard of. Mm-hmm. Is it's funny you hit on the, you know, like the the psyche stuff and like having, you know, like having that I don't know championship mindset or something, and it makes me think of it. It wasn't last night; it was the night before. But you know, the Heat, the Heat Mafia. Everybody was like, "Yeah, you know, we're just kind of built different. We're built so different that you know our player tried to fight our coach." Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, let's rep that. <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> that's that's uh yeah i don't know I, that's how hard you guys go i don't i don't think i need to be a part of that i'm okay uh standing on this side of the border <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh and also you like there's maybe the big brain approach or the galaxy brain approach let's say where the raptors are like yeah we're gonna be like a lower seed so let's just get better at winning on the road it's just like completely you trick yourself into always giving the best thought like th- that's the optimistic yeah. thing it's the unrealistic, yep. optimistic thing. It's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're not going to beat the best four. So let's, you know, let's work on our road stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. And it's just, yeah, I don't know, man. I think it's, it's something that, you know, definitely should be looked at maybe after the season's over a little bit more, but you know, I, I, I do think that these playoffs are going to be a really good test. I think I, I you know, any matchup that, you know, the playoffs, I think, started today, and I I don't know, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think the way it will work out is, like I said, Miami and Brooklyn in the first round, um, you know, so, you know, with the play-in taken into account. Miami, Brooklyn, um, it'd be Milwaukee and Toronto, and then it would be um, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and then Boston and Chicago. And, I mean, that's – those are all series. I, I could see going seven games without a question. You know, Cleveland is is much. This is the best team they fielded since. You know, I don't know. Were they good without LeBron? No, they were never good, except you know in the '90s maybe. But you know, in same with Chicago. Chicago's fallen off a little bit. Boston's 
clearly come up a little bit more. Philadelphia, who knows what you're going to get with them with James Harden and Joel Embiid. I mean, Harden has been kind of streaky lately. And then Miami, like, you know, <laughs> you know, if, they're, if their player wants to fight their coach, I mean, damn, can you imagine <laughs> what they'd be willing to do to their opponents? Like, I mean, dude, I don't know what to say. That's just, that's crazy. But um, I, yeah, I, I honestly see, you know, the Raptors, have a good chance, I guess, but damn, man, this is, this is such a weird, the East is so tough and it's, it's good though, because, you know, it's like, wow, this is going to be some great basketball. They're going to be watching, but at the yeah. same time, it's, it's just, it's, I don't know, man, it's, it's such a throw up as the, you know, what way each series is going to go. There's no definitive for me, especially if Miami and Brooklyn ends up, you know, that comes to fruition. It's, it's wow. It's unbelievable. Yeah thinking about like flipping a conference is pretty crazy at the one and eight. It doesn't happen often, but, and it's, it's kind of funny because it's usually like this underdog, we believe thing, but it'd be KD and Kyrie and Ben Simmons and the heat yeah. are like the, you could make the case that if the, if the nets are healthy, that the heat are the underdog as the one, like the betting sites absolutely might recognize that that would probably be the first absolutely. time ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's very, it's very like, yeah, it's, it's just, man, this is, this is a tough conference. I think it's the the East is tougher than it's been in years. I can't remember like the last year that, you know, I actually sat down and looked at each team and said, wow, you know, I could see the five to eight seeds going over the one to four seeds. Realistically Mm -hmm. doesn't happen often. When we, when we think of the championship season, like obviously the Raptors and Milwaukee and Philly stand out as just tremendous teams, but there was also like Orlando at the back end and Orlando took a game off the Raptors, but that team was not nearly as nice as whether it's Cleveland or the Nets or the Raptors, whoever is the eighth seed at the end of all this, like that's a much better team than that year's orlando magic and no shade to that year's orlando magic it's just no absolutely really strong yeah absolutely that feels, that feels like a, a good conversation we we covered a lot of ground we did we did i appreciate you bringing me on here brother of course of course man and so as you know before we finish off any podcast you get a thank you manny thank you very much but you get you know however much time you want to take to just plug yourself and tell the people you know should they be following you should they be reading a certain book that you like? Should they be reading stuff you write, stuff you make? Whatever you want, man. The floor is yours. All right. Well, thanks for that. Um, I think I'm going to, yeah, I'll plug myself just really quickly. Um, so, yeah, follow me on uh, Twitter. It's at underscore Manny Rao. I've tried to get at Manny Rao, and the guy that has it hasn't been active since 2010, but Twitter won't grant me that 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 handle. So, anyway, Um yeah, uh, I do a lot of betting stuff with the Raptors, uh, not with the Raptors, but with Raptors Republic, um, and also do some freelance stuff for Yahoo, some freelance stuff for TSN, and um, from time to time, you'll get the occasional 2.30 in the morning, I feel like eating a pizza tweet right now. Um, that's that's kind of me, yeah. I uh, try to uh, try to just, you know, Put out some good content out there. That's it. But, uh, you know, first and foremost, thank you. Uh, thanks, Samson, for, for bringing me on, man. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, looking forward to doing another one in the near future. Of course. 
Of course. Thank you very much for coming on, man. Anybody who, uh, you know, was interested in the plug in some sports content in some, I like pizza content, very wholesome, very, uh, you know, very wide ranging. There's a lot of people who could go for that. So yeah, go follow Manny, pay attention to his work into the future and even just go into the backlogs, see what you can find because, uh, just even today, uh, released a great piece that informed a lot of our conversation on the back end of this podcast on the back end of the, the playoffs. So yeah, Manny, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, listeners, thanks for tuning in, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.